Shall we stand for the reading of God's Word? Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they departed from Rephidim, and they, came, and they were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up to God, unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thou shalt, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto unto me and above all the people all people for the, all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him and all the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, and the people may hear, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready again the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds upon unto the people round about, saying, Take heed unto yourselves, that ye go not unto the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever shall touch the mount shall surely be put to death. Thou shalt put, thou, there shalt not, and hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, and it shall not live. And when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Moses went down from the mount unto, unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready again the third day, come not, out, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that the, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people in, were, that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And the mount Sinai was altogether on smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof descended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you this morning for your, your presence and your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the preparation that you've made even uh, today and this, this past week for this moment, for this, this divine meeting we have with you and with each other. Father, we would pray that as this word goes forth, that it might not return void again, and that it might accomplish that which it has been sent. May, the, may we hear your word, may our hearts be open, and may we be teachable. Uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, you may be seated. Well, it's the blessing again to be in your presence. And uh, uh, we had a, a nice weekend of just resting and, and camping and relaxing. Uh, but uh, it's also a blessing to be back in, in your presence. We missed you. And this morning I thought it was just unique as, as uh, considered the message I'm putting forth today. God has laid on my heart just the, just the, just the preparation God has done. With the, the scripture reading, if you noticed the scripture reading, what, what, uh, what uh, was read and as well as the sharing time. Preparation is, a par is an important part of every project. And the greater the project, the more valuable the preparation. Uh, this year, I, I kind of got involved in my wife's garden and uh, thought I would... Uh, she tends to, I think, be a little slow on things, so I thought I'd get an early start on some things and... And uh, I even uh, put some, planted some things early and kind of covered them up to, to kind of protect it from the frost. And, and uh, I, I discovered two valuable lessons in all of this. One is that some, some plants just don't take cold. I learned the hard way. And the other thing I learned is, is sometimes it's just not wise to get involved in my wife's garden. <laughs> uh, and then having come through three weddings, having been involved, I clearly understand the need for preparation, organization, and just some good planning. It just, it makes the day of the wedding a much more relaxing and a whole lot less anxiety. Uh, it just makes it a, a, better, a better time. But the same thing is true of God. Uh, even God does a lot of preparation. When, in, when God chose to judge the earth with a flood, he didn't just send a flood. In fact, he spent some 120 years of preparation before he judged the, the earth. Same with, with, with Joseph. Before God jo chose Joseph to be the prime minister of Egypt, he began to work in Joseph's life from the age of 17 to the age of 30. And Joseph went through some incredibly difficult things, from being rejected by his brothers, being sold into slavery, to experiencing imprisonment before God finally used him to be the prime minister of Egypt and saving Egypt from seven years of drought and famine. God used preparation. 
And probably the greatest example of all is Jesus himself. Before Jesus came to this earth, stepped into human flesh in the form of a baby in Bethlehem, God spent hundreds of years before that preparing the way. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. And few of us realize that those words involved hundreds of years. Everything from Roman roads to the, the language, the, the Greek Aramaic, uh, had to be established. And uh, as Brother Chuck uh, taught me, that there couldn't have been a more picturesque language than the Greek Aramaic to send forth the gospel. But Alexander the Greek had no idea that God was using him in preparation of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And if that wasn't enough, God sent John the baptizer. I love the words of John the Baptist when he spoke those words. He said, he must increase and I must, de I must decrease. How how John the Baptist smoothed the way for Jesus to come to this earth, to be, the, be that way, almost seamlessly. So what we need to understand about God is that God loves and enjoys preparation. Um, he cares about it. The exodus of the children of Israel wasn't some random thought. In fact, God clearly says, uh, told Abram in Genesis, he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for 400 years. And he says, And also that nation whom they, shall, whom they serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with a great, with a great substance. So God is meticulous in his planning. God even told Moses at the burning bush that one day I'm going to bring the people back to this very spot and you will know of a surety that at that, that moment that I was the one who, who, uh, who led you there. Notice these words in, in Exodus, Exodus 3 verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, but thou, that thou mayest bring forth the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now remember, God is speaking to a senior citizen. Uh, Moses is 80 years old, and he probably thought his life was over. Uh, that he was, uh, his only attempt at leadership had resulted in murder and failure. And so Moses gives the response that all of us probably would have given. He, says, he said unto God in verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, you've clearly got the wrong man in this situation. I can think of probably a dozen other men that would be suitable for this, but not me. 
uh, I'm, I'm old, I failed at life, and uh, I'm really not a good speaker. I don't do well in front of an audience. I kind of stammer. I get really emotional. So there's other guys that would do a much better job at this. So Moses kind of digs in his heels. And what we, what we learn about God, that God is more stubborn than Moses. Look at what God says in verse 12. And he says, certainly I will be with thee. He promises Moses his presence. And notice what he says unto Moses. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Moses, here's, this, here's how you can know that I've led you. You're going to come back to this very spot that I've spoken to you. And you're going to know when you've brought the people here. Notice also, he does not say if you bring forth the people. He says when you bring forth the people. God is not going to lose an argument with Moses. He didn't give Moses a choice. You're going to do it. I've chosen you. And uh, the other thing that I thought was so unique, that God in his planning was so meticulous, he knew Moses was very insecure in some things about leadership. He was so meticulous in his planning. He said, Moses, I'm going to bring you back to this spot to show you that I can lead you. God knew that Moses needed some truths to be settled in his heart. God knew Moses had some wounds that needed to be healed. And uh, it was unique that God would, even in his, his planning, was that meticulous. He said, Moses, I'm going to take care of those things for you. Well, it happens. Where does this all take place? It happens in Exodus 19, verse 1. Here we have Moses standing in front of this 7,500-foot mount. The Hebrews are all around him. And uh, they've come through the Red Sea, and Moses is back at the spot where God had spoken to him just several months before. And it says in Exodus 19, verse 1, And in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came unto the wilderness of Sinai. And for, for when they departed from Rephidim, they came to the desert of Sinai. They pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. You know, what a moment of reflection this must have been for Moses as he considered everything he had gone through the last several months. It was Alan Cohen who said, everything, everyone and everything that shows up in our life is a reflection of something that is happening within us. You see, it's in moments of reflection that you and I, when we step back from life a little bit and we look back, it's where we can see most clearly the hand of God and how faithful God has been in our lives. Um, but allow me to, this morning to give all of you a brand new thought. Here on this, this, this plain in front of Mount Sinai, there were several million people. 
And there was only one person that had ever been to Mount Sinai. That was Moses. All the others had been born in Egypt, had grown up in Egypt. They had lived under Pharaoh. They had been slaves. They had been told what to do. Only Moses had ever, had ever been to the Mount Sinai. Moses must have remembered that conversation that he and God had just a number of months ago as he reflected. Now, the children of Israel are going to spend some 11 months here camped on the plain here at the Mount Sinai. And in this time, Moses is, is very busy. In verse 3, we read, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him unto him out of the mountain. So Moses, in verse 3, goes up the mountain. And in verse 7, we find that he comes back down the mountain. Moses came and called the elders. He came back down the mountain. In verse 8, and all the people answered together and said, The Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So in verse 8, Moses goes back up this mountain. And in verse 14, Moses comes back down the mountain. Now, he's 80 years old. Moses is a mountain climber. God did not only turn him into a speaker, he turned him into a mountain. He's 80 years old. And in verse 20, Moses again goes back up the mountain. And in verse 25, Moses comes back, says, Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. He comes back down the mountain. He makes three trips up this mountain and back down. I just want to encourage all of you seniors this morning Moses did some of his most significant work at 80 years of age. Never underestimate what God can do with your lives. So what was God trying to accomplish here with the children of Israel? And it's not difficult. Here at Mount Sinai, God was going to take a bunch of wanderers and he was going to teach them to be serious about God. You see, up to this point, the Israelites had been immersed in Egyptian culture. Everything they had known has always been familiar and predictable. Their life has been ordered. They've been told how to live, what to do, and when to do it. It's completely Egyptian. But that's going to change. You see, from... Uh, they get the law of God in, in chapters 20 through 24. And in chapters 25 through 33, they're going to be given the design of the tabernacle. So they're not only going to be given the instructions on how to live, but the instructions on how to worship. So this is a turning point in the lives of the Hebrews. This is a change is going to be taking place. 
And up to this point, they have been he- they're, they're Hebrews, but they've been living like Egyptians. Their thinking is Egyptian. But that's going to change. They're going to be given the Torah, and, which instructs them how to live godly lives. The Mosaic Covenant. Their lives are going to change. Now notice in verse 8, it says, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I have come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. God is telling Moses, prepare the people for the giving of the Torah. God wanted them to be serious about this Uh, When he gives them his word, he wanted them to be serious. He wanted them to be prepared. Then he says in verse 11, And be ready against the the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of the people on Mount Sinai. Verse 12, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed unto yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever shall touch us to the mount shall surely be put to death. This was some serious business. Verse 13, There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it, it shall not live. When the trump, trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and and they washed their clothes. Verse 15, it says, And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. They were to take this so seriously that the, the married couples were not to be intimate. That is how serious they want. God wanted their complete focus upon on him and what he was going to do. Now, the third day, God comes down to the people, and there are six different manifestations of God that we notice. It says in verse 16, And it came to pass the third day in the morning, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trump exceedingly loud, so that all the people in the that was in the camp, trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. Verse 18, Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. So first of all, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a thick cloud, there was the sound of the trumpet, There was fire and smoke, and the mountain quaked greatly. You see, what God wants the people to understand, what he means is what, when God says something, he expects obedience. 
So he gives them the law from chapters 20 through 23. There's something I want you to see in chapter 23. Let's begin in verse 20. He says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I prepared. Beware of him and and obey his voice and provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for for my name is in him. Then notice verse 22, But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak. So this is conditional. If you do what I say, then I will. There are ten things that God promised he would do if they obeyed, followed through, and walked with him. He gives them ten promises. In verse 22 is the first. He says in verse 22, Then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. The second is in verse 23. He says, For mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee unto the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And he says, And I will cut them off. The third is in, the third is in verse 25. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. And notice, I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. God gives them the promise of health. Verse 26. There shall... There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. The fourth promise that God gives to them is there will be no miscarriages. Your days are going to be full. There's no barrenness. Verse 27 I will send my fear before thee. God is going to cause their enemies to panic. And in the latter part of the verse, he says, I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. The seventh is in verse 28. He says, I will send hornets before thee, which will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. Now, I've never noticed that before. But hornets have stingers. And they have a very effective way of getting you to move. Uh, Some time ago, I found that out. I went to uh, change a license plate on a trailer that I hadn't used for quite a while. And underneath the plate, there's this hollow tube that's part of the frame. And I just didn't, I'm not very observant at times, but there was a wasp nest there. As I reached for the plate, I got hit by about three of them. 
and I made some tracks with the rest of them following. Uh, I waited till things had settled down a little while, and I went back. We had a second round with some diesel fuel, and at the, bo the bottom of the second inning, I was ahead. But what we need to remember is the, the uh, Hittites, Perizzites, or whatever, didn't have diesel fuel. And uh, instead of a dozen hornets, there were probably millions. God has a very effective way to get people to move. Notice in verse 29 what he says. God says something that's very unique, and you all need to notice this. It's very practical for our life today. He says in verse 29, I will not drive them out before thee in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. And then look, look what he says in verse 30. By little and little... I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And in verse 31 are the last two. I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines, from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and they shall drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods, Thou shalt not dwell in, they shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. So every project needs preparation. And so here at Mount Sinai, God prepares them. He gives them the instructions how to, how to walk with him. He gives them instructions how to worship him. And with that, he gives them this whole smorgasbord of promises that he is going to be with them. God says, if you do your part, I'm going to do mine. Allow me to fast forward from the children of Israel to us today. I have no idea what God has in store for this congregation. We have watched as God has, has added to this congregation uh, individuals and, and families, uh, one after another. And, uh, and we love seeing the pews well filled and at times overfilled. I don't know whether God's answer will be to simply add on or different facilities or doing a church plant. I have no idea. But there are three things that all of us can know, regardless what God chooses to do. There are three things that we all need as we, can, as we continue to follow the Lord. First of all, we will continue to need God's revealed word. We need his instruction. 
We need its illumination. All of us need to, to meet the challenges of, of living in a culture that has gone south fast. We, we need discernment and wisdom how to face the challenges that, as, that we are going to face as a congregation. Secondly, we are going to continue to need to be serious with God. And there are two parts to this being serious with God. One of it, the first part is you need to have a heart that is pure and holy. That means doing some deep introspection and checking to see if your heart is really clean. And I'm not talking about using your own measuring stick. I'm talking about using God's word. Using God's measuring stick to see if your heart is really pure. And not using the culture around us as, as, as seeing what's acceptable. Using God's word. There's a second part to that. That is really fearing the Lord. Not being scared of God, but being scared or being fearing disobeying God. Fearing to grieve God. When God says, do something and you don't do it. Or God says, don't do it and you just go ahead to do it. I don't understand how some can do that. How can you do that? You know, it's easy to succumb to that slow, silent erosion of our culture around us. This doesn't matter and that doesn't matter. And slowly but surely you rebel against the authority of God. God clearly says, don't make a covenant with them or their gods. Don't put their gods in front of you. Don't worship the things that this culture is worshiping. He says, lest, thou, lest they make thee sin against thee, me. For if thou shalt serve their gods, I will surely be, it, it, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Those, were, those words were true of the children of Israel, and they're, they're true of us. If we make their gods our gods, it'll be a snare. As a flock, I hope all of you are taking God seriously. Take time and check your heart. Do an honest heart check. Thirdly, we continually need to trust God completely. And that involves two parts as well. First of all, focusing on the objective rather than the obstacles. 99% of those things that we worry about never happen. And uh, focusing on the objective, expanding God's kingdom, sharing the gospel, teaching, teaching people how to walk with God. 
That should be our objective. It doesn't matter what God chooses to do with us as a, as a congregation, but rather than looking at the obstacles, keep, your, keep the objective in front of you. That will keep you positive. There's a second part to this, and that is being courageous and being willing to do what's difficult, not always expecting a free ride. It means living for each other, being sacrificing for each other. Be willing to do what's difficult and trusting God to help you do it. Doing some of those things that don't come natural for you. Getting out of your comfort zones. Helping each other. Those are the things that will expand God's kingdom. Those are the things that draw others to a congregation. When we sacrifice for you, when we truly work as a team. Getting rid of that Egyptian mentality and asking God to give you a long-haul mentality. You know, this morning, I know as, as, as we sit here, there, all of your stories are different. You have different backgrounds, different parents. But there's something that's the same for all of us. God has surely brought you here on eagle's wings. Shall we bow? You know, this morning is just a great time to do some introspection. Is it well with your soul? Are you taking are you taking God seriously? Is your heart really clean, pure, and holy? Or are you tearing apart the very fabric of this congregation? by living in sin. Are you compromising? Are you trusting God completely? Remember God's words little by little. We win one relationship at a time, one person at a time. one spiritual struggle at a time. Be encouraged. Stay in the fight. The promised land is just ahead. And don't give up. Father, we just pause before you in this moment. Thank you, Father, for the example of the children of Israel. This morning, Father, we recognize that there's a call that's going out, and that is a call to holiness. Not religion, holiness. 
Lord, we, you know as you look into our hearts, all of us have enough religion going on. But Lord, you want authenticity, genuineness, and pureness. Brokenness, humility. Lord, you're also calling us to trust. Trust in what we can't see. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do with this congregation. And even this morning, that you're preparing us for things that are great. We trust you as we walk with you. We, we ask that uh, you're, you might be glorified in all that we say and do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.